0: Okay, um, this morning could you please turn to Habakkuk chapter 1, so that's what we're looking at this morning. Now Habakkuk is not one of the most well-known people or books of the Bible, um, but there is a few things that we do know about him. Firstly, he was a contemporary of Nahum, Zephaniah, and they may be names you're familiar with. He was also a contemporary with Jeremiah, which um, we definitely have heard about. And he lived in Judah around 600 years before the time of Christ. In his book we discover that Habakkuk is a man who knew scriptures well and he had a great faith in God. Some scholars actually believe that he was a priest and he was then called to be a prophet as well. So he receives a prophecy from God. And as we will soon discover, this prophecy is a little different from most that we experience in the Bible. Most prophets declare the word of God to God's people. They receive from God and they pass it on. Habakkuk's prophecy consists of him having a dialogue with God. Instead of him talking to people about God, he talks to God about people. In his exchange with God, Habakkuk is very passionate and he is completely honest with God. He lays everything out on the table, and what we're about to find out is that he's not very happy. In his dialogue with God, he wrestles with God and he questions God. All around Habakkuk is injustice, and God appears to be indifferent to this situation. Now, if we're to look at the meaning of Habakkuk's name, it means to embrace. And we see that uh, when it comes to Habakkuk's discourse with God. He certainly does embrace God, but at at the same time, he wrestles with God. So let's read the first four verses and see what was on his heart when he came before God. So chapter 1, verse 1. The prophecy that Habakkuk, the prophet, received. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralysed and justice never prevails. The wicked in the righteous so that justice is perverted. So Habakkuk was deeply troubled by what was going on around him and he was asking these two questions of God. Why does evil go unpunished? And God, why are you not doing anything about this evil? Why are you indifferent to injustice? Why was he asking these questions? What was going on at the time? We see that Habakkuk used some pretty confronting descriptions of the situation. He uses words like violence. And in fact, in that opening passage, he uses the word violence twice. And... If you were to read right on through the whole book, you'll see that that word reoccurs several times. So that's quite confronting. And look at the other words that he uses to describe what he was witnessing. Words like injustice, wrongdoing, destruction, strife, and conflict. He paints a vivid picture of what things were like. And he goes on to say that the wicked hemen the righteous... Justice never prevails, and it is perverted. And of course, as we know, where there is injustice, there will also be suffering. Now, looking at the history of Judah and Israel, we get an understanding of why things had deteriorated so much. The 12 tribes of Israel, which had existed under King David, later split into two kingdoms, There were ten tribes in the north, and they were known as the kingdom of Israel. And then in the south, there was the kingdom of Judah. Now being kingdoms, each nation was naturally led by a king. And as we read through the history, each king was regarded as either a good king in the eyes of the Lord, or an evil king in the eyes of the Lord. Each king would influence the entire nation through his nature, through his laws, and through his reforms. Most of the evil kings would introduce idols and the worship of foreign gods. And they basically led the people and the whole kingdom astray. When we look at the kingdom of Israel, it had predominantly evil kings. So sinfulness and evil abounded throughout its history. And you must remember that way back in the time of Abraham, the nation of Israel was actually set aside by God to be an example to the nations around it. They were supposed to influence those nations around them, uh, be that witness or be that ambassador, if you like, to them. But at this point, they had deteriorated into the opposite of what they had been called to be. So the northern kingdom of Israel continuously turned their back on God and God had called time and he punished them by using the powerhouse nation of the day, which was Assyria. Israel was overrun by the Assyrians, and the people of Israel were exiled. So the kingdom of Israel was no more. Only the kingdom of Judah remained. However, Judah also had a checkered past with kings. Some were good, and some were evil. Leading up to Habakkuk's time, the most recent kings, with one exception, were evil. And this obviously had a negative effect on the, uh, on the society. As mentioned earlier, Habakkuk is set around 600 years before the time of Christ. So Habakkuk's prophecy was most likely set during the time of King Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim was an evil king and the events and his actions during his reign are described as being detestable. He is described as being cruel, corrupt and ambitious. So the evil things that Habakkuk was praying about would have started at the top with the king and they would have filtered right down through society. The people were oppressed by high taxation. There were things going on like wealthy landowners were bribing the courts and they were controlling those courts. They were paralyzing and perverting justice. So pretty much the society was marked by social corruption and spiritual rebellion. Injustice, wrongdoing, destruction, strife and conflict was everywhere. And Habakk- Habakkuk was living amongst us, and he was witnessing it and this was distressing him. Things weren't right and things weren't fair. And on top of that, God was apparently indifferent to what was going on. How long, Lord, must I cry for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, but you do not save? Why do you make me look an injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? And I wonder if some of us have asked God these sorts of questions Have we been in a situation where we've felt this way? How often do we see injustice? Sometimes when unfair circumstances overtake us, it can be overwhelming, and God can appear to be a million miles away. Well, in the next section of chapter 1, God answers Habakkuk's questions. And in God's reply, we find that he isn't indifferent to the to the evil that is going on there in Judah. God already has a plan and he is working through this plan. So let's read the next little section which is uh, verse 5 to 11 and see what God was doing. Verse 5 Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told, I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people, who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are, they are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry. Calv- Gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. By building earthen ramps, they capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. So the Lord has answered. He is not indifferent and he is indeed going to deal with the injustice that Habakkuk was complaining about. He had a plan all along. However, I think if I was in Habakkuk's sandals at that point, I would be having a sort of a say what sort of moment. Did things just get better or did they just get worse? They appear to have gotten worse, a lot worse. This reply from God was unexpected, and it certainly was not what Habakkuk was expecting. When we look ahead to chapter 3 and verse 2, I think that Habakkuk was wanting and expecting God to revive the people spiritually and morally. That's what I would have been hoping for and praying for if I was him. Habakkuk would have been um, absolutely amazed and stunned that God's intention was to rise up the Babylonians and to roll them into town and to punish and chastise the people of Judah. It appears that sometimes God does not always answer prayer the way that we would hope for and would expect. He has his own will and his own plans that he is working through. You see, we only see what is immediately around us. God has the big picture. So sometimes God's answer to prayer makes absolutely no sense to us. Now let's add some context to this. Assyria were the powerhouse nation of the world and as we spoke about earlier they wiped out the kingdom of Israel. Then God raised up the nation of Babylon and they absolutely smashed the Assyrians. By the time of Habakkuk Assyria was gone and Babylon were the new powerhouse. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had just defeated Egypt and he was about to invade Judah. Jeremiah the prophet had announced that Babylon would invade Judah and destroy Jerusalem and the temple. They would send the nation of Judah into exile. Now obviously this hadn't happened at the time of today's reading but it was not too far away. And look at the nature of the Babylonians. Look at how God describes them. They are ruthless, impetuous. They sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings that are not their own. They are feared and dreaded. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honour. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swooping to devour. They are intent on violence. Again, there's that word violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They they mock kings and they scoff at rulers, they laugh at fortified cities, and they sweep past like the wind and go on. They are a guilty people. Pretty scary stuff. All of this paints a picture of a powerful nation whose nature is entirely ruthless. They have an incredible army that was relentless and unstoppable. They conquered, and then they went on and conquered some more. It was looking pretty grim, and there was not much hope for the future. The picture of the Babylonians is summed up in the last statement of God's reply. Their God is their own strength. So God wasn't ignoring the injustice and corruption that existed in Judah. He had a plan. And that plan was to use this godless and heathen nation to punish the sin of Judah. Now that doesn't make a lot of sense to Habakkuk. And he goes on to question God further. So let's come to verse 12. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why, then, do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks, he catches them in his net, he gathers them up in his dragnet, and so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his nets and burns incense to his dragnet, for by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. He is to keep on emptying his net, is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy. Initially in this second prayer, Habakkuk acknowledges God's sovereignty and his intentions. He acknowledges that God is eternal, that God is holy, and he describes God as being his rock. He also seems to accept that Babylon has been appointed by God to execute this judgment on Judah, and that they were ordained to punish Judah. So he accepts God's revelation to him. But he just doesn't get it. It doesn't make sense. So he questions God further, hoping to gain some sort of understanding. If your eyes are too pure to look on evil and you cannot tolerate wrongdoing, why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than them? Habakkuk is asking the question, Why are you using a nation that is more evil than us to punish us? He goes on to echo God's assessment of Babylon. He brings this picture of the people of Judah being fish and the wicked foe, which is uh, Babylon, pulling them up on hooks and nets. The fishermen rejoice in their catch and they go on to worship their nets. Now remember, the, the Babylonians' God is their own strength, their own might. After all, it is by their own power and their strength that their conquests and their conquests that they can be glad and that they live in luxury and enjoy the choicest foods. Chapter 1 finishes with one last question. Is he, and this is referring to the Babylonians, is he to keep on emptying his nets and keep on destroying nations without mercy? Is there any end to what is going on with this powerful, powerful nation? How long, Lord? How long must there be injustice and suffering? And on that sombre note, our text for the day finishes. That's it. In fact, history tells us that things indeed get worse. The Babylonians did go on to invade Judah. Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed and the people were carried off into exile. And I think as far as the Babylonians are concerned, they were around for approximately another 60 years or so. There was no happily ever after in the foreseeable future. Things were looking pretty hopeless. Now that's not the way we usually wind up a sermon. Um, There's questions here that remain unanswered. But sometimes in life we find ourselves in circumstances that can have a similar effect on us as these circumstances had on Habakkuk. How do we get through these things? There are some constructive things that we can take from today's passage. So in conclusion, I want to zoom in on and expand some of these things. Firstly, when we face hardships what is the difference between questioning God because we have doubts and accusing God? When was the last time you heard someone praying this way that Habakkuk did in this text? Now I certainly haven't heard it in a public prayer setting but maybe some of you may have prayed this way in your own time with God when you've been in some sort of real heavy situation. I think we can look at the wording here and question, how can a man of faith talk to the Most High God like this? It's almost accusatory. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, but you do not save? Why do you tolerate this wrongdoing? Why do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? It sounds like he's praying from a position of unbelief and sometimes when people bring these questions to God they do so in their unbelief but that's not so with Habakkuk Sure he had doubts but he still trusted God It is interesting to note that Habakkuk is not alone in Scripture when it comes to asking questions of God in this way. There's plenty of other examples. There is David, there is Jonah, there is Job, there's different psalmists, and even Christ asks questions of the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. I think one of the points of difference here is that we can ask questions of God to get a better understanding of his will and purposes. This is different to just questioning or accusing God's sovereignty. You see, Habakkuk couldn't understand what was going on around him and then when he did get God's reply he couldn't make sense of God's plans. The reality is, however, that we may not fully understand God's ways or intentions either for some time if in fact ever. I doubt that Habakkuk physically saw the outworking of God's plan in the big picture type of way. I don't think he was around to see God's people returning to Jerusalem some 70 plus years later. We are living in the here and now. These questions, these issues, these hardships that we are facing, they can engulf us now. I have an experience in my own life where I couldn't uh, make sense of why things turned out the way they did. Now it doesn't quite compare to the scale of what Habakkuk and Judah was experiencing but it fits in with what we're talking about. Now I'm not a big one on sharing personal experiences in my sermons. I prefer to stick with this and just doing that. But I think it sort of fits in and it may be an encouragement or you may relate to a similar experience in your own life. As most of you know, my, my only sister passed away suddenly some time ago and obviously because of my emotional tie to her, it was a shock and the initial experience was surreal. It knocked the wind out of me, to be fair. She was gone and I would never see or talk to her ever again. So there were some of those questions from a personal point of view, is why, why has this happened? Now, on top of that, there was the tragedy of the circumstances of her passing. She was very young. She was, well, I say young, she was 32 at the time. She had three children. She was a month away from getting married. She had been getting involved with a local church in, in recent times. Um, and also, as I, as I found out later, there was some. Unresolved personal issues that she was dealing with uh, if she was still around today uh, she she has two grandchildren and another one on the way, and she would have taken total delight in these in these grandchildren so looking at the tragedy of her passing, there were also questions of how unfair it all seemed, not just because of what she missed out on but also what was taken away from her kids and her fiancé. Now, this December, it'll be 10 years since that happened. And to be fair, I still don't have all the answers. But as I stand here today, I know this. And in fact, this is how I felt at the time. I know that God is God, and he has those answers in hand. Sometimes we don't understand why God does things or why. He allows things to happen to us or around us. However, we can take comfort in the fact that God is not a million miles away and he is not indifferent to injustice. He does act. When we just don't get it, then there is nothing wrong with asking him questions in a hope that we can have a greater understanding. Now the second point is similar to, and it expands on the first If we have this sort of exchange with God, we should always do so from a position of faith. Note in Habakkuk's second complaint, he acknowledges that God is his Lord, that he is holy and that he is internal. Habakkuk embraces God while he brings his questions to God. One scholar puts it this way, that he wrestles with God while he embraces God. Wrestle and embrace. And it reminds me of how Jacob wrestled with the angel until he received his blessing. Later Habakkuk's embracing of God comes more to the forefront in chapter 3. Despite all of the questions and despite the hardships that existed then and that were still to come, Habakkuk brings a prayer of worship in chapter 3. And it's probably noted one of the greatest passages of worship of God. While we can, do, can and do have doubts about God, it is when we get into unbelief that we become unglued. It is when we simply question God's right to do things His way and by His plans, or we accuse Him of being indifferent, unloving and unjust. If we do these things, then we are walking down that road of unbelief. It's okay to ask questions of God but when we do so we should always do it from a place where we know and acknowledge that he is God. One of the myths of modern Christianity is that when we trust Jesus then all of our problems disappear and nothing bad will ever happen to us. This, as most of us have experienced, is simply just not true. And you only just got to look at most of the people that we know by name in Scripture. Some of God's faithful servants suffered much. Sure, our basic spiritual problem, which is our relationship with God, has been sorted out through Christ. Colossians chapter one, verse twenty one to twenty two. Once you were alienated from God, and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Nothing changes that. We're sorted on a spiritual level with God. We have salvation and a living relationship with God through Christ. But that doesn't mean that we don't go through hardships or end up asking God, why does evil prosper while I suffer? And of course, our hardships or our sense of injustice can go on for a long time. It can also become overwhelming. In those times, there are two temptations that we need to be wary of and prepare for. If we give in to them, then we can go down a path of grief. The first is living in denial. Some Christians can be tempted to deny that anything is actually wrong. As long as they pretend that nothing is wrong and keep praying, Thy will be done, thy will be done, then everything will be okay. Everything will somehow come right. The problem is, is that when we do this, we can end up living with blinkers on. We then can become numb to the problems or the sinful things around us. We can even end up being suddenly overwhelmed and then we can fall into the second temptation which is to walk away from God when everything becomes too much. So that's the second temptation when facing hardships or injustice. Simply walk away. Pack it in. Sayonara. Some Christians are so overwhelmed they just call it a day. Habakkuk was nothing like this. He recognised the justice that existed around him and he didn't deny it. He didn't bury his head in the sand. He also wasn't content to focus on it in his own understanding. He wanted answers. He didn't live in denial. He wasn't overwhelmed by looking around him. He didn't walk away. What did he do? He looked up to God. And that is a key. If you have doubts, if you are facing injustice, seek out the Lord. Look up. Look up to him. Don't live in denial. Don't try to fathom things out in your own understanding or allow your circumstances to cause you to walk away. Turn to God in faith. Ask him the questions that you need to ask. This brings us to our last point. The righteous... Shall live by faith. There is hope when we are living through hardships or injustice. The book of Habakkuk gives us a key when we find ourselves in this situation. I want to draw your attention to the title of today's sermon The Just Shall Live by Faith. As we work our way through Habakkuk over the next few months, we discover that statement is the key theme of this book. The just shall live by faith. And it's actually a verse from chapter 2, chapter 2 verse 4. But the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. This statement is given by God in answer to Habakkuk's prayers and complaints. And while his problems are not going away, God gives him a key to facing what life is about to throw his way to the people of Judah. When we look at the big scheme of things, the events of Habakkuk are part of the process of God's ultimate plan. Everything in scripture points towards Christ. It's all linked. These events that befell Judah are part of the process leading on to God's ultimate plan. Redemption through Christ. And even now today, we're still living in that, aren't we? Everything is still leading to Christ. If you remember back a few months ago, Eddie Churton brought us an encouragement uh, when he took us through Revelation chapter 22, the new heaven and the new earth. We're not there yet. But that is God's ultimate plan for his people. We may not have all the answers or understanding today, but we always have hope in God's ultimate plans. The righteous shall live by faith. Now um, let's finish with a passage from Hebrews chapter 10 and in my Bible this comes from a section which is labelled A Call to Persevere. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. For in just a little while the coming one will come and not delay. And my righteous ones will live by faith. But I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. Let's pray. Lord, we just uh, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I pray that it is an encouragement to us here this morning. Lord, we just want to acknowledge before you this morning that you are our God. That Lord, we do trust in you. And Lord, we pray that if things do befall us, hard times or injustices or or whatever, Lord, may we stand upon that rock, that rock which is you. May we indeed be those who live by faith. In Jesus' name, amen.